Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. A very warm welcome uh, to you all, um, both those of you that are in the room um, and those of you that are watching at home. Um, my name's Rich, um, as Luke mentioned. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Revelation Church. Um, and if you're joining us today, then you've joined us for a particularly special Sunday. Um, today we're starting a new series together and we're going to journey over the next couple of months um, through uh, a book um, called Gracism by Dr. David Anderson. Um, and uh, we're going to be exploring um, all that God intended for the church with regard to race um, and ethnicity. Um, and I've titled today's sermon, Gracism, A Call to Unity. Um, I'm going to pray Um, And then we're going to jump in. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are um, speaking to us through your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. Lord, we pray that as we open up your word today, Lord, that you would speak into the depths of who we are. um, And that, Lord, you would um, challenge, challenge us, Uh, transform us by your power, Lord, that we would grow in love for one another, that we would grow uh, in unity together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians um, for the most part of today. Um, So you may want to turn there if you have your Bible to hand. Um, But just before uh, we launch into that, I just want to set a little bit of context as to why this series um, and why now. Um, So why this series? Well, the issue uh, of racism has really come uh, to the forefront of our minds in recent conversations and in recent months. Um, Visibility over the last few months of of, of such aggressive incidences um, in America, um, but also a growing sense of awareness um, of the injustices that that we encounter in our own nation. Um, Perhaps here in Britain, Uh, People don't experience such brutal violence, um, but the ideas of prejudice, racism, unconscious bias, um, however you want to label it, um, is very much ingrained in our society. Um, Just in the last two weeks, um, I read a piece about uh, Alexandra Wilson, a black barrister um, who was misidentified by court officials um, as a defendant. Um, This happened just once. You might think, well, it's just a mistake. It's just an accident. Um, Twice, maybe um, it's a coincidence, Um, but this happened three times in one day. And it's not an uncommon occurrence, it happens all the time. Um, And so Alexandra Wilson mistaken purely based on the color of her skin, a skin shade automatically evoking stereotypes um, about which side of the law she belongs. And on the wider issue, um, there's lots more research that is being done um, into the last few hundred years of what is seemingly apparent silence um, since the dose of colonialism. Uh, The University of Leicester and the National Trust have got a joint project um, which they're uh, looking to research and publish uh, the impacts of colonialism on Britain's rural estates, uh, many of which were built either directly by slaves or from wealth generated through the slave trade. Um, people are recognizing that the effects of such abuses are very far-reaching. It touches uh, every corner of our nation. And for my own part, it brings so much sadness um, and shame with it. Um, You see, this isn't just an urban issue. 
We don't face the consequences of racial injustice uh, just because we live in a div the diverse city of London. Um, the shockwaves of racial inequality um, have rippled through the entire country. And when talking about unconscious racial bias, um, it, it's a very rude awakening. Um, it, it's uncomfortable and it can be offensive. Um, those of us, many of us, um, who perhaps thought ourselves as open-minded, suddenly being confronted with the truth that perhaps our thoughts, speech and actions may be reinforcing certain stereotypes and undermining people's dignity. And as a church, we're passionate about shining the light of the gospel on injustice where we encounter it. And that's why we set up our CAP Centre and Food Bank, these ministries that um, serve those who find themselves in, in devastatingly tough seasons of life. Um, and, and at this point in time, our attention must focus on tackling racial and ethnic injustice as we see it in the world and tackling the effect of that injustice as it impacts within these four walls, within the church. And now, occasionally at church, I've, I've had conversations with people and when talking, we'll say something like, oh, it's a white church or that's a black church. Um, and every time I hear it, um, and even, even when I've used those uh, descriptions, my heart just sinks just a little bit. And it sinks for two reasons. It reminds me that the church can be one of the most segregated places or one segregated settings in society. And secondly, it reminds me just how far short our understanding of the church is from what God intended it to be. And so why now? Well, for years, as leaders at Rev, uh, we perhaps wrongly assumed that by extolling the glory of Jesus, the wonder of salvation, the beauty of the church, um, combined with what has always been a pretty unlikely army, I think you'd all agree with me, um, we would demonstrate the gospel of inclusion just by the way that we lived our lives. Two out of the three elders, Steph and myself, um, are in mixed relationships. Um, in many ways, we thought our diversity, inherent by the way that we lived, was good enough. But sadly, it's come to our attention that bias exists even within the church. And we as, eld as leaders and elders feel a collective grace and urgency from God to tackle this. And I'll say for my part, um, Tanika, my wife, um, and I, being in a mixed relationship, um, we've journeyed a lot um, in our marriage on this subject. Um, and although we feel that there are lessons that we've learned, experience that we've gained through being in an interracial marriage, um, we don't presume to know or fully understand all of the issues. How can we? When they're so wide, and the experiences are so many and varied. But as leaders, um, we want to affirm our love for every single member of the church and our belief that the gospel reconciles across racial divides to bring unity. Now, I don't pretend to have all of the answers, and I know that I will probably make mistakes or be misunderstood, but for the sake of the church and the promise of unity in the church, we can't stay silent. So let's jump into Ephesians today. Um, so um, the letter written uh, to the Ephesians, Paul is writing it um, from Rome, where he's under house arrest. Um, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, um, and the letter begins in chapter one, essentially by detailing the incredible good news um, that Jesus' death on the cross, um, but by Jesus' death on the cross, we have been forgiven. As he died in our place, the consequence for us turning away from God 
the judgment that should have led to death, Jesus bore that judgment in his body on our behalf. This is the wonder of the gospel. We get what we don't deserve. Unmerited favor, the Bible calls this grace. The undeserved favor of God available to all people. And then he moves on into chapter two. Paul begins to unpack the reality for everyone who has turned and put their trust in Jesus. And for those of us that would, be called, that would call ourselves disciples or his followers, the reality that we have been brought into right relationship or we've now found peace with God means that we can also find peace with one another. You see, it's a picture of us turning away from our old way to facing God and actually being able to do that. We can then stand facing God arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder with one another reflecting his glory. And so in him, we've been united. We've been brought together as the church. And it is, as Ephesians 3.10 says, the manifold wisdom of God. And this grace that has brought us into right relationship with God has united us in purpose as brothers and sisters. And that purpose being to lift up the name of Jesus in, a, in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, in the way that we act. And so in these first few chapters of Ephesians, we then jump in um, to chapter four. And this is where we're going to land uh, today. So the words should come up on the screen, or you may want to follow in your Bible. So chapter four, verses one to six. So I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you who were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, the context Paul is addressing here is between Jewish and Gentile believers. We see this clearly in Ephesians from chapter 2, and it's a relationship that was frequently tense in the early church. Just one example of this, in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul retells, essentially recounting a time when he rebuked Peter for withdrawing from the Gentiles to eat with the Jewish believers. Paul's strong opposition to Peter is not really about him just enjoying Jewish traditions or customs, um, but really it centers on Peter's behavior. Um, as he withdraws from Gentiles, um, when the Jewish believers come, Peter isn't someone just choosing to sit with a different group of friends that perhaps he hasn't seen for a while. Peter was, whether consciously or not, promoting an elitism within the Jewish community essentially making themselves better, being condescending towards their Gentile brothers and sisters. And Peter was also leading others into this divisive attitude. And so in Galatians 2, Paul speaks really strongly about it. And then here we see uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1, um, Paul calls all believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says to the Ephesians, you've been united in Christ. Walk in unity walking with humility, walking with gentleness, walking with patience. 
The phrase then, bearing with one another in love. Uh, in modern phrasing, we might think of that as, as kind of having to put up with one another. Um, if you have a younger sibling, um, then when you were growing up, um, perhaps your mum uh, said you could go to the park, but only if you took uh, your young, younger sibling with you. Um, in that instance, they were now your responsibility. Um, you had to bear with them or put up with them. Um, I was that younger sibling. Um, I have been there. Um, you, but your job, your responsibility was to keep them safe and bring them home for dinner. The word for bearing in verse 2 is actually a bit stronger. It means more than just bearing, it means to hold up. So you, we want to hold up one another in love. You see, the, 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 the Jewish, the, Gen, the Gentile believers, they weren't just thrown together and told to stop fighting and get on with it. Um, they were actually told to uphold one another, to honour one another, to value one another. You see, there's a call on us to esteem and elevate our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. And so with the goal we see in Ephesians 4, verse 3, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, unity wasn't something they were aiming for. Unity was something that had been done through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus united them. The Ephesians' goal then was to maintain that unity. And maintaining unity is also has to be one of our objectives as a church. And so the real question is not really how do we achieve unity. That's been done through Jesus' death on the cross. The question really is how do we hold on to the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. So what forms the basis of that unity? Well, in verses 4, 5, and 6, uh, Paul then tells us the nature of that unity. Interestingly, when I think of unity, I often think of an agreement. Um, I think about two parties, perhaps negotiating a mutually beneficial relationship and coming to unity um, of understanding on a matter. Um, but here, there is no negotiating. In fact, our unity is found in a third party, in something else, or rather, someone else. You see, in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That unity is centred on Jesus. Jesus, who has made us one, who has given us hope, who is our Lord. Our unity is not dependent on each other. One of the reasons Ephesians was written was to make the point that, being by, that by being reconciled to God, we find peace with one another through the unity of the Spirit. We can find unity together. We find unity in the bond of peace. You see, before we had put our trust in Jesus, the Bible says that we were enemies of God. Our will and our desire was at war with God. The Bible says that the judgment or the price of being at war with God is death. And yet Jesus paid that price by dying in our place. So if we will come and acknowledge our need for a saviour and turn away from trying to do the things to satisfy our own selfish desires, if we repent, the Bible calls it, then we can know peace with God. And here's the incredible thing. This peace we find with God also extends to the relationships that we have with other believers. 
This newfound peace with God sets a new trajectory for us. Where we were heading this direction, well, now we're heading this direction towards the Lord. Our life's purpose is now given over to his purpose. You see, as fellow believers, brothers and sisters, we have the same purpose. We're now facing the same direction. Our destination is the same. The love that God has poured into our hearts is that same love that we show to one another, or at least we should. There are things that threaten this peace, though, and things that that, that can war against our unity, things that oppose our common purpose in God. And one of those things, as you've probably guessed um, by, (laughs) by this sermon series, is racism. Racism can be defined as the speaking, acting, or thinking negatively about someone based solely on that person's color, culture, or ethnicity. Now, that's quite a broad definition, um, and it can range in severity from clumsy ignorance um, through to overt, brutal hate. But either way, as believers, that racism can drive a chasm between our unity It can cause us to retreat from relationships. It can shape our understanding of the people that we meet in the world around us. Probably uh, very few of us, if any, um, would ever have actually called ourselves racist. Um, And yet subconsciously, our views and understanding are shaped by the media um, and by our culture. You you don't have to look very far to find attitudes that that echo racist undertones. Um, Even thinking back a couple of years to the Windrush scandal, um, people being deported from their home nation, Britain, um, where some of them have called it home for 40 plus years um, to what seems like a completely alien country to them. Jobs being lost, people being denied legal aid, denied access to medical care. You see, this isn't just a matter of politics. It's a matter of justice, and it grieves God's heart. You see, this is the culture. This is the air that we breathe. So to think that we're somehow immune to prejudices and unconscious bias is, I mean, it's quite frankly ridiculous. Um, In fact, that's why Romans 12 verse 2 was written. Because Paul says in Romans 12, he says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And you might be thinking, but surely if we're all one in Christ, then colour, culture, background, all that stuff, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, we read in Galatians 3 uh, verse 28, it says that there's neither Jew nor uh, Greek. We're Christians, we, we're not racist. Um, well, that's kind of a half-truth. If we read the rest of the verse in Galatians 3, verse 28, um, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, that same logic doesn't apply to the other examples that Paul gives, where he says there's no male and female, so that means we're all one in Christ, and so therefore we all become gender neutral. Well, this is clearly not what Paul's saying. So what's Paul's point? Well, he's saying all those things that define who you are, none of them qualify you for that peace that we find with God. Not gender, not status, not ethnicity. Paul's point is that it's only Jesus and what he did on the cross that qualifies us to be chosen, loved, and adopted by our Heavenly Father. Jesus died for the sin of the whole world, 
for everyone, not just for a particular elitist cultural group. So then what role does our culture, our ethnicity, colour, even gender or status count for in the kingdom of God? Well, each of them serve to reflect his image in all his perfect diversity and beauty. It serves to show that the world that that the world is united by God across ethnic, cultural, racial barriers. It serves to show that man and woman are created in his image, but broken by sin. And where those things war against the unity that we found in God, we must navigate those relationships in Ephesians with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You see, we all must start from a place of having to work out what aspects of our ethnicity, what aspects of our culture um, will cause relational breakdown and distancing and need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind and what aspects are actually good and reflect God's image um, that enhance who we are as the church, as the body. Now, this will lead us to much godly reflection um, in our own hearts that will take time, that will take months beyond just this series. But throughout these next couple of months, we're going to be looking um, in 1 Corinthians. We're going to base ourselves there, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through to uh, 27, where Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he describes how they are the body of Christ. And as such, how they ought to bear with one another, esteem one another, elevate one another, uphold one another. And uh, I mentioned that we would be uh, tracking with uh, the book Gracism by Dr. David Anderson. Um, And in his book, um, he shares a social study uh, whereby 10 interviewees uh, were put forward for a job. But before the interview, um, they each had a red dot marked on their cheek. And after the interview, each of the candidates remarked how the interviewer kept looking at their dot. Here's the thing. Five of those candidates were actually given a clear dot. There was nothing for the interviewer to see. And yet all 10 remarked how uncomfortable and self-conscious it made them feel. You see, their insecurities about their dot played out in the participation in in the interview, even if there wasn't a dot. It's a somewhat crude example, but we can see that people feel self-conscious about whatever makes them insecure. That insecurity can be to do with a whole host of things. Now, in this season, we're looking at race, ethnicity, and culture. I'm aware that in this context, I, as a white man, um, can easily become the object of criticism, um, complicit by my skin color. um, But speaking honestly, I've spoken with with white people who just feel paralyzed about saying or doing anything for fear of making mistakes or offending people. And this silence has become an insecurity in itself. Now, white people can't play the victim in this situation, um, but as with all other insecurities, we must bring it to God that by his spirit, our minds are renewed that we, in Romans 12, may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the pendulum can swing both ways. You and I, regardless of ethnicity, culture, colour, have insecurities. But we have been called to a unity that goes beyond these potential barriers. And this is where we must extend grace to one another. 
So if racism is defined as the speaking, acting, or thinking negatively about someone based solely on that person's color, culture, or ethnicity, and as we saw, grace is the undeserved favor of God to all people, this is where the gospel flips racism on its head. And so this series explores how we positively extend favor to other people based on their color, ethnicity, and culture. That's why the series is called Gracism. We're going to be learning how to be more gracious and understanding towards one another, just as Christ has extended his grace towards us. And so I just want to give a couple of practicalities um, about this series. Um, firstly, uh, we're going to be producing studies um, for you guys to work through uh, in gospel communities. Um, so please do make use of them. Um, if you're uh, not already in a gospel community, um, these are essentially smaller groups uh, who journey together, um, who do life together, who stand with one another, pray for one another. Um, so do make your way into a gospel community. There'll be a list um, published somewhere. Um, and if there are issues that arise out of these discussions, um, please let's not shy away from them. Even if we need to seek help or wisdom, bring in a third party, um, we must journey together in this. Secondly, uh, you may want to uh, journal as you track through this series. Um, it will lead to much searching of our own hearts and humility as we bring these things to the Lord that he might transform us by his grace. Um, and if you journal already, you may want to weave that into some of your journaling um, or maybe even just for this series, you want to um, just track with some of your own thoughts and emotions as you process um, some of this. And thirdly, please be praying throughout this series. You see, for too long, the church has been silent on this, um, but it's a battleground. Um, and the only way we're going to win through in this is by committing it all to the Lord in prayer, by, following, uh, by committing to one another and extending grace to one another. And so I... And fourthly, uh, I just want to make mention of hot topics that's happening this afternoon. Um, please do uh, log into that. Um, it would be an opportunity for questions. It would be an opportunity for discussion to hear a little bit further, to go a little bit deeper um, on this subject. So I exhort you, church, to really go deeper with Jesus during this series and seek his heart for all that he has for us. And I believe that he will turn our hearts of stone into humble, gentle, patient hearts. I urge you to champion one another in love and grace as we tackle this subject together and grow more and more like Jesus. I've been so encouraged over the um, last few months by the humbleness and love that's been displayed since we've began uh, tackling this as a church, since we began having discussions, um, such maturity um, and wisdom. I'm confident uh, that God will do more as we commit to allow his Holy Spirit to continue to work in and through us. And finally, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening and you're thinking, well, this all sounds great, um, I want you to know that it starts with Jesus. It starts at the cross. These racial, ethnic, cultural barriers are, as I mentioned earlier, sin. is turning away from God. And it opens a chasm between us and God and between us and other people. 
And if we are to have any hope of unity that goes deeper than what the world can offer, which is tolerance and diversity, and we hear a lot of buzzwords in the media, but if we want to go beyond that to achieve unity, then we must first come and address that chasm between us and God. We must come and put our trust in Jesus. Only in him can we find forgiveness and true reconciliation with God and with each other. So please uh, do listen in during this series. Um, Please do reach out to Jesus and um, we'd love to walk with you um, on that journey um, if you are uh, considering following or have made a decision to follow Jesus um, for the first time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Joe and Tom up who are going to help us as we respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the unity that you won for us at the cross. Lord, thank you that you, uh, Lord, died in our place. Thank you that we can know forgiveness from sin. Lord, we can know new life in you. Lord, thank you that our priorities have now become your priorities. And Lord, we want to maintain that unity that you accomplished for us. Lord, we want to follow all that you have instructed for us. And Lord, we just declare um, as a church, Lord, that we're not going to go silent on racial injustice. We're not going to go silent on racism where we encounter it. Lord, we want to be an active, uh, a proactive voice, Lord, in seeking your justice. Lord, we do. Lord, we want to become, Lord, gracious, to use that word. Lord, we want to be those that extend positive favour to brothers and sisters from every background, every culture, every ethnicity. And Jesus, we just pray, Lord, would you fill us with your power to do that? Would you give us your grace? Lord, would you give us your wisdom in this season in Jesus' name? Amen.